So let's get something straight real quick. I run the, the youth ministry here. So usually by the time I get on stage, a couple of balls of soda are down, a couple of games of dodgeball, a couple of bloody noses, some picking noses. You know, we get all sorts of stuff at youth group. And I know that there's a little bit of difference of an excitement level when we get to youth group. So can we start off by you old folks in here this morning? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, can we? I wasn't supposed to say that. Um, can we start off by giving up for the worship team? That second song this morning, they wrote that. They wrote that second song. That is incredible. I just love that. Guys, uh, this is Pastor Jason's birthday weekend. He went to a Red Sox game yesterday, and they lost to the Yankees. Any Yankees fans are here this morning? Yeah. Pretty cool. I love to celebrate Jason. He does an awesome leadership over this church and just doing amazing things in this, uh, in this city. Um, and for my man Ricky, dude, you have me crying up here. I can't believe it, dude. Two things make me want to run through a wall. The first thing is a good worship song. The second thing is a good redemption story. Am I right? We serve a God that loves giving out redemption stories. We serve a God who is in the business of redemption stories. And I'm also a firm believer that God gives the best stories to the best storytellers. Anybody know some good storytellers? We know some good storytellers. And, and I look out in this room and I know a good amount of you guys. And I know there's some people in this room that might tell some stories to certain people but not others. We, we got any stories that we keep for a select group. You know, like we'll tell our work friends a story. We'll tell our life group friends a little different story. And, and there's just things that we don't share in front of our kids maybe. Um, I don't have kids, but I'm sure you, some of you do. Um, there are some stories that we don't like to share in certain circles. I think back to this time when I was in the seventh grade and I had this permanent substitute teacher and, and I was a really good student always doing the opposite of what I was supposed to be doing. And uh, one night, like many nights, I got a call home from a teacher to my mom and, and my mom answers the phone. She says, hey, Mr. Kramer, how are you, how you doing? And Mr. Kramer says, I'm, I'm doing good, but I'm having trouble with Jordan. And my mom kind of gives me that look, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And uh, so he says, he says, you know, I'm having trouble with Jordan because during our independent reading time, Jordan's distracting all the other students. And, and she's like, well, well, why isn't he reading? And he said, well, because Jordan's already finished his book before everyone else. And my mom kind of looks at me again, and she goes, so you mean to tell me that Jordan's finished his book before the rest of the class, and that's why he's disrupting everybody? And she, he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, he's lying to you, she said. <laughs> And I look at my mom, I'm like, Mom, I had a good thing going. Like, don't bring truth to a situation. I had a good thing here. But on a serious note, how many of us have stories that we don't want some people to know because we're afraid of the effects that it might have? It was about two years ago in my life when I was going into my senior year of college at Colorado Christian, and I was really struggling with my direction. I was really struggling with where God was going to bring me, and, and I wanted to do things the way I wanted to do them, and I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. And he, he came to me, and he, he said, you, you're either going to choose me or you're going to choose you. You can follow your plans or you can follow mine. And what he was calling me to do was scary. What he was calling me to do, I was uncomfortable. I felt inadequate. I was scared. I was fearful of what God was calling me to do, and I didn't want to follow him. I didn't want to follow what he was calling me to do. I said, yeah, I'll take, I'll take all the blessings you can give me, but when you tell me to do something that makes me uncomfortable, I don't want to do it. And because of this, because of that fear, I kept on the DL. I only let a few people in my circle into that story. I only let a few people know what God was really doing. I only let a few people know this because I was afraid that if I told the truth, if everyone knew what God was calling me to do, I might actually have to do it, right? 
We've all had these situations. We've all had stories of, of God, or we've had stories of, of breaking out of the pits, raising up from the bottom, started from the bottom, now we're here. We've all had these stories, but how many of us are afraid to share them because we're afraid of what the world's going to look at us, or we're afraid to follow that, we're afraid of being uncomfortable? Over the past few weeks, we've been in this K-series and we're talking about how we respond to Jesus. When Jesus does things in our life, how do we respond to him? We know that he is Lord. We know that he is all-powerful. How do we respond to him? If you were here last week, uh, Jason shared a message about the disciples and, the, and Jesus were coming across the lake or the sea. And the winds got real bad and the seas got real bad. And, and they wake Jesus up saying, how are you sleeping right now, man? And he wakes up and he, he calms the seas and, and the winds. And, and they say, who even is this man? Jesus, who even is this that we are with? And this is where we're picking up today in Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 39. They get directly off of this boat. They're traveling across and they get off of this boat and they step onto dry land and they're immediately met with a man. And this man had, had broken chains. He had chains dangling from his arms. He had cuts all up and down his arms. And he runs up and, he, and the, the scriptures say that he's possessed by demons. In verse 26, we see, they sail, uh, in verse 28, we see, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. He would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. If you notice, when Jesus walks up, Jesus does not say, hey, the Lord's here. He doesn't walk up and introduce himself. But he immediately, this man that is full of demons bows down before him and says, Jesus, son of the most high God. Theologians would argue that this was a direct response to the disciples saying, who is this man? Just moments before when they're asking, who is this man? That even this, the winds and the sea obey him. This is a direct response that the demons know who he is. The demons know that they are not going to mess with this man. They know who Jesus Christ is. They know he is the son of God. Does anyone in here know that Jesus is the son of God? They know this without introduction. They know who this man is. When you look at the end of this passage, the name Legion, at this point in time in, in the Roman era, Legion was a word that was used for a legion of troops from somewhere from 2,000 to 6,000 troops. So when Jesus is walking up to this man, I imagine the disciples sitting there knowing that there's up to 2,000 demons inside of this man. That's a lot, that's a lot of demons. <laughs> knowing up to 2,000 demons inside of this man, I imagine the disciples are like, hey, you, you sure you want to go over there? We've all been in a little situation where we got that one friend who kind of runs ahead to trouble. You know, you got that one guy who's always running off trying to fight the biker gang or something, and it's just like, hey, bro, you better chill out. And I imagine that the 13 of them are looking at Jesus facing 2,000, and they're saying, hey, man, you, you better back off. But Jesus walks up to them. They bend their knee to Jesus. These demons know who Jesus is. I imagine their perspective changed when 2,000 demons bowed down before Jesus. Some of us, I feel like we share this perspective sometimes this, with, with the disciples. We share this perspective that, you know what, Jesus says he's not afraid of my problems. Jesus says that he's not afraid of these 2,000 demons. But, you know, I, I sinned a couple times this week, and I don't want to bring that to God because, you know, he doesn't want to take care of me. He doesn't want to take care of my problems. 
So many of us look at our lives and we say, you know, I've done so much wrong. I have so much shame. I have so much things from these past that I don't want to bring to God because he, he, he can't handle it. We think Jesus is in a box. And now we look at Jesus in this situation walking up to 2,000 to 6,000 demons saying, I'm the king. I'm Lord. They know who he is. We move on to verse 31. They begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. And now there was a large herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter, this, uh, enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. As weird as it sounds, I think a lot of us can relate to these demons. I know there was a time in my life when I could. They knew who Jesus was. They bet their need to him. They knew who he was without introduction. Yet they were not willing to follow his plan. Even though their, their plan for them was really bad. Don't depart into the abyss. When it talks about the abyss, it's talking about the pit of fire. It's talking about hell. Don't command us into the abyss. I don't want to follow the destiny that you have for me. I don't want to follow the plan that you have for me. I want to cause as much destruction as I can while I still can. Send me into those pigs over there because I'm going to rip them apart before I go to the abyss. How many of us know who Jesus is? We know the plans that he has for our life. We know what he calls us to. Yet we want to cause as much destruction in the life that we're still living. We want to live a life that is uh, nice to the flesh. We want to live a life that we're comfortable in. We want to live a life that pleases us. And so often we put things before God. So often we're blinded by what we want, by this destruction of this life that we want, that we're afraid to follow what Christ has for us. I think a lot of us can relate to that perspective. I know there was a, a long period of my life, my parents grew me up in the church. It was great. I was under Pastor Jason's preaching at youth group. And it was awesome. I knew the truth. I knew what Jesus had for me. I knew that one day I'd have to give up this party lifestyle. I knew for one, that one day I'd have to give my life to Christ and actually start living. But we had this good deal, you know, like, yeah, God, when I'm like 25, we'll figure it out, you know. Let me have fun for now. And I think this is the perspective of these demons. You know, I want to do me now, but I'll follow your plan later. When the herdsmen, in verse 34, we move on. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled. And they told it in the city. They told it in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and they found a man who the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat and returned. This is not the response that we were expecting when we're talking about responses in this case series. This is not the one that you would expect. A bunch of townspeople walked up. There was this man who was all broken. They knew him broken. It says that he was shrieking in the caves. They knew who he was. They had chained him, and he had broken these chains many times. They knew who this man was, and now they see him seated at the feet of Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, get the heck out of here. That's what, that's what their response is. The, the redemption, the radical change in this man's life was, was undeniable. This man was now clothed. He was not naked. He was seated at the feet of Jesus and not wandering in the desert. He was quiet. He was not shrieking. He was calm and not out of control. He was peaceful and not deadly. He was comforted and no longer tormented. This is a picture of God-given sanity instead of demon-inspired insanity, sin-inspired insanity. We've seen this in our lives. 
We've seen chains broken. We've seen marriages mended. We've seen lives changed. We've seen my man Ricky right here get baptized two weeks ago. We've seen life changed. We've seen God redeem lives. And how do we respond to it? Are we blinded by our fear? Are we blinded by seeing the pigs run off and die? Are we blinded? Is our perspective more focused on what's hurting than the blessings that Jesus has right in front of us? How many of us can struggle with this perspective? We see these blessings are right in front of us, but we're blinded by them. The man from whom the demons had gone out, verse 38, the man from whom these demons had gone out begged that he might be with him, and Jesus sent him away. He said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. It's another interesting response. This man wants to follow Jesus. He is following Jesus. Jesus just saved his life. And he says, Jesus, let me, let me come after you. And Jesus says, take that passion that you want to follow me with and go back to your city. Go back to where you came from and tell everyone what God did for you. If there is not a picture in the Bible, if there is a picture in the Bible of humility that Jesus just saved this man's life, cast 2,000 demons out of this man, and then points to God, I mean, I, I have a hard time doing that. I have a hard time pointing to God when I, when I do good things. I want, I want everybody to pat me on the back. I want everybody to tell me I did a good job. Jesus here cast out 2,000 demons. I know no one in here has ever done that. And he points to God. This is a picture of his humility. But he says, go back to that city and tell everyone what God did for you. And this leads us to our main idea this morning. And it's something that we can all learn. It's something that we can all take to heart. And it is that our testimony becomes our tool. Your testimony becomes your tool. God is doing something in your life. God has taken you from somewhere and put you somewhere new, and he wants to use that. And he's given you that tool. He's given you that tool to build his kingdom. Turn to the person next to you and say your testimony becomes your tool. I've been yelling all morning. You guys can yell too. Say it again. When we give God the glory, when we point our lives to Jesus, the things that we went through, the things that we did become part of our story. It glorifies God all the better that this man was chained up. It glorifies God all the better that this man had so many struggles that the people hated him that he would cut himself open. It glorifies God all the better knowing the struggle that he went through to get to where he is today. Your testimony becomes your tool for the kingdom. What you've gone through becomes the next part of your story. God ends that life and gives you new life. And what do we do with it? That day that I was afraid, that, that moment where God changed my life and I didn't want to tell anybody, there was a reason for that. I was living in Colorado. I was about to go into my senior year and I didn't want to follow God. And, and that night when I told God, God, I don't want to follow this. I can't follow this. I don't know how to follow this. He was calling me into ministry. And I said, God, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't know how to do this. I didn't go to school for this. And he put the name Jason Koas on my heart who I didn't talk to Jason in a couple years, and he was my uh, youth pastor in high school. And he put the name Jason Koash on my heart, and I knew I was supposed to call Jason, and I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Jason's going to make me do this. <laughs> so I don't call Jason. Six months later, Jason calls me. Off a whim. I don't know. He says, hey, man, like, you know, I started a church a little bit less than a year ago. It's called Wellspring. It's in Toms River, New Jersey. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've seen some posts and stuff. And he's like, I want you to start praying about coming to, to help out with our youth ministry, coming for an internship for our youth ministry. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll start praying. 
definitely. Like, that sounds something I should really bring to God, right? And a week later, he says, hey, hey, you know, have you gotten anywhere? You've been praying? Yeah, yeah, I've been praying. And, you know, God kind of turned it down. (laughs) God kind of turned it down. It was about a month later that I was sitting in chapel at Colorado Christian, and, and it was during missions chapel, and it was talking about all the missions trip we were going to send out the next year, and there were like 70-something trips, and like this was normally a chapel that you're doing homework in because you're not really paying attention because, you know, who cares about missions trips, right? And I'm sitting there. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I get this nudge, and I look up, and I see Kenya, and this is the one time I decided to follow, and I said, all right, I'll go sign up. I sign up. Six months, uh, five months later, I go to Kenya. And while I'm in Kenya, each person on the team has an opportunity to share either a devotion or their testimony. Remember that testimony I've been wanting to not tell? So it's that night, and it's my night, and all day I was wrestling with God. God, I don't want to tell it. Don't make me tell it. So I take my journal, and I'm writing out different devotions. I'm writing real cute things about everybody, like you're doing a great job. I'm writing all the things that I could say besides the story that God had given me. And I get to that moment and I open the book and I'm about to share, I'm about to share this devotion with my team. And I go to speak and I just like, I can't. I go to speak and I can't. I can't live in this lie anymore. I can't live in this fear anymore. So I start and I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to share my story with you guys. I'm going to share my testimony with you guys. And I share the whole thing. Besides one little part, right? I don't share that part about Jason. And luckily, by God's grace, one of those people that were in my inner circle that I told the whole story to were in the room. And that person that says things when they're not supposed to, his name is Bryce Brenton. And he was on that trip with me. And he stood up and he said, Jordan, that's not the whole story. I'm like, bro. And the whole team, they were just praising me. They were like, like, Jordan, you're great. Jordan, you called in the ministry. That's so great. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, yeah, I got a good old plan. That's not working. And, and they all look at me. What do you mean you're not following? And I tell them, I said, well, you know, there, there is another part of this story. And it's that, you know, God actually told me where he wanted me to go. I know I've been telling you guys that, like, I didn't really know the plan yet. Well, he's been telling me the plan, and I've been running from it for, for a year. And they say, what, what do you mean? So, so what is it? And I said, well, you know, Jason, and, and he called me, and I said, no. And, and they're going, oh, well, well, good, so you accepted it? And I'm like, no. And they go, <gasps> And, you know, after I finally got that story out, after I told them the full truth, after I told my full testimony of what God was doing in my life, they started encouraging me. And every reason that I had been telling God that I couldn't, They were telling me, Jordan, you can because it's in his strength that you do it, not in your own. The thing that happened, the mission did not change a year later. The mission was still before me. What God called me to do was still in front of me from a year prior. It was still the same calling. I walk back to my room, and I walk next to my bed, and there's a pile of letters sitting there. And I pick up the top letter, and guess who it's from? From Pastor Jason. You jerk. (laughs) And I opened that letter. And it says, Jordan, if you were defined by your past, you would be A, B, and C. But you're not. You are a new creation. You have a new life, Jordan. And we get to glorify God with this new life. And we get to start a new race. We get to run a new race. And I'm so blessed to be a part of it. You know, this job is still open. 
this position is still available. And I call him and say, Jason, uh, I'm in Kenya right now, and I'm coming. And I came. And I came to Westbrook, and that story has brought me here. And what I love about this story with this demon-possessed man is that a year later, when I finally accepted this calling, when I finally had a will to follow, nothing had changed. I did not go back to school. I had minimal, more Bible study over that year. This man might have been sitting there with the same doubt that you and I have about sharing our faith because we don't know the answers. I don't know how God created the earth. I don't know how God pulled a rib out of Adam and made Eve. We sit here and we're afraid to tell our stories, and this man did not know the theology of creation. God said, I gave you a story. Your mission is to go tell my story of what God has done in your life. And this is what we get to live in. The mission is the same. The calling does not change. He knew enough to do what God was calling him to do. How many of us have a story that we need to tell? A conversation I had with Jason not too long ago. Now I'm out here. Now I'm learning. And I'm running the youth program for about a month. And, and I said, Jason, you know, when you were a youth pastor, man, when you would walk in, all those kids would get so hyped up. Everyone would get so pumped up. And I'm like, how come I don't have that? I walk in the room. Everyone's like, oh, Jordan's here, you know. <laughs> and it's when Jason was there, he would run in. And, and he said, Jordan, Jason, uh, God did not call Jason to lead this ministry. God did not call Jason Coash to lead well youth. He did not call Brian Prizer to lead well youth. He did not call Joey Robertson to lead well youth. He called Jordan Arce, and he's equipped you with enough to do it. So stop comparing yourself to me. You see, we've got insurance adjusters in here. We've got teachers in here. We've got counselors in here. We've got construction workers in here. God has called us to a place, and God knows that it only takes one to go back to where you're at, to go back to your city and tell them what Christ has done for you. There are people, you're looking at the person next to you, and they have a different role than you. They have a different mission than you. We all have tools for the kingdom. Jesus gave him the tools that he needed. He did not call him to be John the Baptist. He did not call him to be Abraham. He did not call him to be the next John MacArthur, to be the next anyone. He called him to be him. So how in your life, how where you are, can we be using what Christ has given us, the story that God has given us of redemption, to point to him? When your testimony, when your test and your trials becomes your testimony, our testimony becomes our tool, and we each are able to be a part of the purpose of the kingdom. In our testimonies, we have, we have three parts. We have three great parts. And here at, here it is, here at Wellspring Church, we value an all-inclusive gospel message. It is one of our six core values Ricky talked about generosity before. This is another one. The gospel is for everyone. We can't think of a sin that Jesus didn't die for. Can you? Has Jesus saved any perfect man yet? I don't think so. We look at this, and there are people in these seats that that come from a lot of different backgrounds. There are people in these seats who come from different areas. You come, you've done things, and I know some of us are afraid of sharing our stories. We're afraid because we don't want people to know maybe who the old, old us is. Jordan, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You have an old life, and God wants to use that in your new life. When we find Jesus, that is the second part of our testimony. We have an old life. We have found Jesus, and now we have a new life. And it comes to what are we going to do with it? God wants to take all the wrong that you have done, 
and use it for his glory. And he doesn't want you to hold on to it anymore. There are people in this room that have not made this decision to follow Christ. There are people in this room that are still living in their sinful life. There are people in this room that still look back on decisions and still have shame because of those decisions. And I'm here to tell you that you don't have to. You don't have to sit there and think, yes, I did do this last week. Yes, I did do this when I was five years old. Yes, this did happen to me. These people did hurt me, and I still live in pain because of it. Jesus Christ died so that you don't have to do that anymore. Jesus Christ died so that you don't have to live that way anymore, so that your old life can become your new life, and you can start moving forward. Jesus wants you, wants us to bow down to him with all the problems in our world and give them to him. You don't have to fight alone. My challenge for us today is that we would look at the three perspectives in this story. We would look at the perspective of the demons. Do we know who God is, yet we still want to live in our life that we're living in right now? Or are we the townspeople who are blinded by fear? We're blinded by our circumstances to ignore the blessings that are right in front of us, to ignore what Christ is doing in our life. My hope is that for many of us, we'll take the third perspective, that we'll take the perspective of this man who was broken and we'll remember our brokenness and we'll remember the redemptive life that Christ has given us and that we will take that and that we will use this testimony for his glory. I get an amen. amen. Cool. Worship. Show us your glory. Show us your glory.
checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Tom's River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.